Humans of the planet Earth, while you slept, the world changed. Welcome to the Xavier's Dream Podcast. I am your host, Rain Coleman. This podcast is a carefree black nerd examination over the new dawn of X-Men. We're beginning with Hickman's House of X and Powers of X miniseries. Now when listening to this podcast, live tweet and comment using the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod. I'd love to have your input and opinions on the show, the characters, the stories, the titles, and the like. So please be sure to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening app and share the show on your social medias. Now let's get into episode one, House of X, issue one, the house that Xavier built. Okay, so it was discussed um, and reported rather that Jonathan Hickman would be taking over the X-Men in July of 2019. Well, here we are in July of 2019 and... We started. So his plan, which um, I reported in the pool, I forget what issue, but it is, uh, I'll link it in the show notes. So Jonathan Hickman's plan was to come in and redo the X-Men. He was supposed to come in, shake things up, and tell the most important story that has been told in a very long time. Um, There was a lot of pushback. There was a lot of uh, embracing of this idea and needless to say on both sides there were there were opinions strong opinions so what I plan to do with this series um, is to just examine the comics I've also fallen out of love with the Marvel X-Men um, it's been a while now and now that Hickman has come through with such strong ideas on what X-Men will be and what he can make them. I figure this is better time than any to jump right back in and to be a bit more focused to see if this is something that I want. Um, Now, House of X and Powers of X are both uh, six-issue miniseries, which will turn out to be, I would imagine, maybe a 12-issue maxi-series when combined. Um, So stay tuned. Let me know what you guys think. Now, really quickly, before diving into the episode proper, going over Jonathan Hickman. Now, he is, of course, a comic book writer and artist. Now, some of his famous runs have been um, Image Comics, Nightly News, The Manhattan Projects, and East of West. Uh, For Marvel, it's been Fantastic Four, FF, and S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, he ended his Fantastic Four title to write the Avengers and the New Avengers as part of the Marvel Now initiative. This was back in 2013. Um, He wrote the six-part miniseries Infinity, plus some Avengers tie-ins for Marvel. Um, And back in 2015, he also wrote the crossover event Secret Wars. Now, Hickman has been lauded and praised as a very good storyteller. I must admit that I have not... Read now. I've read a few issues of East of West. I want to say I picked up one of the Manhattan projects, but it's been so few and far between the things that I've read from him that I don't have a signature story that I love from him. I don't know a lot about Hickman, so I'm going to learn about him through his writing, uh, through these stories, and I mean, we're gonna see where I fall on this list. Now, with that being said. We're going to get into House of X. Now, the creative team for House of X issue one, excuse me, of course, is Jonathan Hickman as the writer, Pepe Larza as the artist, Marte Gracia as the color artist, VCs Clayton Cowles as the letterer, Tom Muller as the designer. Uh, The cover artist was uh, Pepe Lorenz, excuse me, and Marte Garcia. This is a very interesting book. It's heavy. This was a big five, excuse me, six dollar book. Um, I'm wondering, well, I would imagine that the House of X and Powers of X miniseries will both be at this six dollar price point, which is not a normal price for a comic. It's usually about three ninety nine. But I will say this is a very interesting, interesting story. It's interesting looking book as well. There have been some teaser images that have been released over the last few months or so. And I'll have to say, reading through this issue has me very excited for what's to come. 
Um, now, one thing that he's done well, I believe, in this book is he's broken it down. He's telling a complete story, but he's also giving you really quick interludes, kind of title cards that are giving you a bit more information that would serve to just be exposition if it was actually in the book. For those of you out here who have read Ninjak or Ninja K from the Valiant comics, uh, that is how he... In between certain pages, they give you like a breakdown of his uh, weaponry and different people in the book. That's kind of what you're getting here. So the first title card we're getting is a quote from Professor Xavier, which is, Humans of the planet Earth, while you slept, the world changed. Which already gives me this feeling like this is not your mama's X-Men, your daddy's X-Men. <laughs> you're not giving me that same... Uh, over a million millennia, the humankind have evolved. Like, you're giving me something that's very rooted in right now. Like, all of this shit that's been going on, things are different now. And be ready for it. So, I'm very excited for that. Um, even Regardless of if I'm wrong or not, you, you can't deny that there is, in that brief um, quote, there is a sense of change. Now we open up on what feels like a matrix style tree of life with pods in it. We get a figure that is very small compared to the scale of this like tree, which seems to be like in a cavern or a cave. And next panel out pops a hand and two bodies spill out of these pods. Now I can only imagine or assume rather that this is Scott and Jean because we do see that this is Xavier in the next panel with this big cerebro style X mask over his head or helmet. Also, we see him caressing the, the face of the male, which has this like flickering of a laser. So it's kind of like, yeah, this is kind of Scott Summers. And the next panel, very quiet, the man says, to me, my X-Men. So already we're starting off with something brand new. This ain't no simple reboot. This doesn't feel like a simple uh, restructuring of the X-Men. This feels like this is heavy, that this is important, that this is some change. Uh, and I am here for it. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited because again, like I said, I've fallen out of love <clears throat> with the X-Men. And it's not that people have not been writing good stories. It's just when I got back into comics, the stories that I have been picking up a few things happen. Either they don't seem that interesting or they aren't for me and or they'll go and then Marvel would reboot something and then now you, you're losing all of this. I, I get tired and I'm probably going to sound really old school with this, but I get tired of the writing for the trade, the six issue arcs, the 12 issues and that's a full, uh, that's a full run. Um, I mean, if it's working, for the community, fine, but I, I don't like it all the time. Um, so when you get a story and you know that, okay, this might not make it past 12 issues. And then if it does go further, well, you may get six more. And then you might get six more. It's this whole waiting game. I miss the days of like a full long run where you have to go back and get the issues you've missed or just continue on and collect what you have. But I digress. House of X... The house that Xavier built. So we find out that about six months ago, we get these quick panels of one five months ago in Krakoa where Colossus is picking a flower. We get four months ago in Westchester where Storm is walking with a potted flower. Three months ago on the blue area of the moon, we have Nightcrawler. It looks like covering up a hole where a flower was. Two months ago on Mars, we get uh, Armor, who it looks like she may be planting something because we are kind of far away. And then we also get, what else? One month ago in the Savage Land, where it looks like Beast is, I don't know, monitoring the flowers that have been picked over the last few panels. Then three weeks ago in Washington, D.C., Kitty Pride and um, her dragon, I forget his name, forgive me, is kind of perched up on a hill where the Krakoan flowers are growing rampant. 
And then two weeks ago, a blonde mutant child, or woman rather, is planting flowers. Now for this, this blonde woman, later on her name is said, but she gives me the Cuckoo Sisters vibes, but I'm not sure. It could be just a side effect of a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman in a comic book. In an X-Men comic, rather. Uh, and then we show up at the Jerusalem Habitat. Now, guys, for this big, weird, immense story, I'm already excited from these first few pages because it is so different from a regular reboot where you just shift some people around and maybe in one store you give them one mission in another book you give them a different mission so Jonathan Hickman like I said promised that we're going to get this new grand dawn and design for the X-Men so it's here we get these Krakoan flowers we get these X-Men reborn from these pods we get a lot of interesting things and I'll say that Krakoa becomes a huge part of this story I'm sure probably running throughout the entirety of this miniseries. Now, Krakoa, for those of you who don't know, is the island that walks and talks like a man. Now, let me see. This was back in Giant Size X-Men number one. I want to say in 1975, the new X-Men had a, a different lineup of mutants. There was Colossus, Storm, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, um, and they were the new team that Charles had go in and save the old team from Krakoa. Now, Krakoa was the island that walks and talks like a man. It was a living island. It was a nuclear testing site where all of the matter, all of the biological life had developed some sort of sentience. So collectively, they were, all intents and purposes, alive. Um, they had a common will. And it's Krakoa had, uh, let's see, cropped up. In a lot of different X-Men books, I want to say, and I forget the run, but I know it was like a year or so ago, where Krakoa was actually at the Xavier Institute. And with Hickman doing a story of this scale, of this magnitude, because again, Krakoa plays a huge part in this story, it makes me excited because I feel like he's taking the toys and he's doing something great with them, something larger than life. Whereas before, again, not saying that there weren't good stories being written and being told, but I feel like they were kind of limited in scale and scope. And it might be um, a mandate from the higher-ups at Marvel, but either way, I felt like it kind of hurt the image of the X-Men. In this one issue, I'm excited. Now, I can't say that it's going to be great throughout. There might be some issues I don't like, or there may be some panels I don't like, or whatnot. Because I already have one concern, and it is to deal with race, but I'm going to leave that where it is for now. Now, Krakoa provides the island home for the new mutant nation in the Pacific Ocean. This is east of Papuk, New Guinea. Oh, so Papuk. <laughs> Papua New Guinea. <laughs> as well as the flowers of Krakoa, the primary economic resource of the mutant nation. So, pretty much, we've created a mutant nation with its own culture. Now, within this, we've seen this before. We've seen Utopia. We've seen, um, I know Madripoor was running rampant with mutants that was... A mutant safe haven at one time but now it's like Hickman it feels like and I could be wrong it feels like Hickman is ready for 30 plus issues like it's just what it feels like so that's about at least two years worth of content now we um, are here at the Jerusalem what is it the Jerusalem habitat in present day and a few ambassadors show up because they've gotten an invitation from Charles Xavier and he's pretty intent on having them here to accept his terms. Now, the, the conversation between these humans, these ambassadors, is really interesting to me. They're just faceless, nameless, uh, white people. I think there's an Asian guy. Um, but they're just, you know, regular people in suits. Two women, three men, four men, it seems. And so... They're talking about being apprehensive and nervous about what the what this deal means and how they're living in these interesting times. And I like this conversation with them because in the Marvel comics, it's not a lot of times that I can recall you get conversations about the world at large. If it's not coming from a superhero or a supervillain or you're not knees deep in the middle of a story where there's some fantastical thing going on. Yes, there are these larger than life things happening on the first few pages. 
but you're getting a conversation about the sign of the times, the state that the world is in, from six regular people, baseline humans. So they're talking about a gift, an amazing gift from Xavier, which will, um, it's a drug that extends the life of a human for five years. Now, I interpret that as being when you are going to die, it gives you five extra years. So it could either be you're in your deathbed, you take it, you have five extra years, or you take it being a um, uh, healthy human and then you get five years added onto your life that you don't know about. I'm not sure. I'm sure it'll be explained throughout the series, but that was a bit, that, that was kind of gray for me. So if you have any ideas about what that might be, please tweet me, Carefree Blurred. Use that hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod. Um, another gift that he has, it prevents diseases of the mind, which would be mental illness, which is also an interesting thing. And it's something that I haven't seen being dealt with in, um, uh, not Marvel, but X-Men comics. It, and, and again, like I said, I could be wrong. If you guys have, have instances that I'm referring to saying that I haven't heard of before, tweet me, use that hashtag and let me know. But to my knowledge, I haven't, there's been like the mutant cure, which was all fine and good. It made for good stories. But this story here seems to be taking that and amplifying it even more. Stories about mental illness and curing people, it's been more or less like science fiction based. Though this is fiction and this pill isn't real, it's still grounded in reality and science, rather mystical, uh, fantastical stuff. <laughs> for lack of a better term. And then we also have um, an antibiotic uh, that is the best that the world ever, has ever seen. And so the ambassadors are discussing these gifts and one of them says, it's not a gift if you have to pay. Um, Xavier is only offering these miracle drugs to the nations who recognize his. So pretty much we get it again, Xavier is trying to have his own nation which I think is very smart um, because even though there's been retcons and explanations, I think it's very odd to have the X-Men exist in the world where they're hated and feared, but a Sue Storm, a Thor, a Spider-Man is praised and lauded when you, again, I've said it before, you don't know who's mutant and who's not. And how do we know that Spider-Man isn't a mutant? You know, it's, it's such an odd thing to be upset about, but I digress. So the uh, ambassadors are welcomed by the blonde-haired woman that I mentioned before. Now, it's two of them. And this the reason why I say they remind me of the Cuckoo Sisters is because they're identical to blonde-haired, blue-eyed white women. Now, I don't know if these are characters who have already been established. The beauty of this run is that I don't care. I'm not going to look into seeing who's who, who was in this run, who was there, because I think that I want to treat this as a very solid jumping on point so for people who watch x-men movies and watch the mcu movies and want to get into x-men i think that this is probably a good place to start um it's a bit heavy with lore like the krakowin stuff but at the same time it's treated in a way with both the story and the title cards where i feel like you could easily if you're interested in this type of thing open this book and and not have any knowledge of the lore of the x-men and still get a good story enjoy this so we uh get the ambassadors walking into the grotto krakowin sanctuary looking place and they meet esme and sophia the two blonde women who um introduce them or present them to magneto because they're not meeting with xavier they want to meet with xavier and uh one of the ladies says oh it's magneto and he's like <clears throat> Please, Ambassador, is fine. It's like, I was like, man, okay, Xavier and, you know, Magneto getting together. And one thing I do like is that Magneto has his white, his white version of his suit, of his traditional uniform. And I love that. Like, that is a very good design for him. It's always been a good design, but the white color makes it look so much better. If it was in solid white or solid black, as opposed to that purple uh, burgundy number, I think it looks much, much better. Now, throughout the course of this book, the ambassadors and Magneto and the blonde chick, or maybe both blonde chicks, <coughs> excuse me, they are walking through Krakoa. They're explaining Krakoa. So that's important. Hold on to that. 
Uh, now what else? So we get them in introduced to Magneto, or rather meeting Magneto, and then in very uh, TV fashion, we fade to black. The mutant island of Krakoa is not just the home of mutants and the seat of their nation's state. It is also the only known producer of the primary economic resource of the mutant nation. The flowers of Krakoa. Now these flowers have three different uses for both humans and for mutants. The first one, the human drug L, this flower produces a drug that extends the life of the human for five years. Human drug I, flower produces an adaptive universal antibiotic. This is a super drug for humans. And human drug M, this flower produces a drug that cures diseases of the mind in humans. So that's interesting. And the fact that it is highlighted as this drug is for diseases of the mind in humans, I think that is a very important thing to kind of pay attention to. I haven't read lots of humans' work, but again, I'm, I'm paying attention to everything from the panels to the symbols to what's in parentheses, what's highlighted, what's bolded, because I'm sure it'll come back later on. Now, the flowers of Kokoa, as they pertain to mutants, we have gateways. Now, gateways are delivery flowers. This flower grows a gateway, a pathway from where one is planted to its twin gateway on Krakoa. The gateways kind of remind me of Stargate SG-9 um, or pretty much any other show, cartoon, TV show, or otherwise where they've had gateways that you walk through that are circular. There's another flower that is the habitat, this delivery mechanism flower. This flower produces a habitat. A habitat is a self-sustaining environment, a biome that is a part of the interconnected consciousness of Krakoa. And then there is a no place. This is a non-naturally occurring flower, produces a habitat that exists outside the collective consciousness of Krakoa. This is a place within the island's ecosystem that Krakoa does not know anything about. It's kind of like a tumor for Krakoa. Now, another reason I wanted to pick up these issues and start kind of reviewing and examining the X-Men and the state of the X-Men is one, we know that the X-Men and the Fantastic Four are back at Marvel's uh, disposal or back under the house of Marvel. With that being said, I would imagine that the stories being told now will be the stories that we get movies and shows pulled from once we do see mutants start emerging in the MCU. The reason being, with Hall H, uh, Marvel and their panel and Feige and the like discussing the next phase, phase four of the Marvel movies, phase four and some of five, there's going to be groundwork laid for X-Men. To me, now they can do whatever they want, of course, it's Marvel, it's a big cosmic entity, <laughs> but it would make more sense that if you're going to let time pass between Fox's mutants and MCU mutants, and you're going to start telling these stories, why wouldn't you begin with something like House of X and Powers of X? With these new series spinning out in October, I'm, I'd imagine there'll be a success. That being said, there'll be a few years of comic continuity under your belt before the movies even pop up, the uh, mutants and movies pop up. So you already have separation from the stories that were being told at Fox in time, as well as in stories in general. So we won't, I would imagine we're not getting another Dark Phoenix saga, especially from Marvel holding the mutants in their hand. Because it just, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't make sense to me. Now they can make it work, I'm sure, but it just, why keep telling these same old stories when you have someone who is literally changing the landscape of X-Men in the comics Go with what he's giving you, I would imagine. Now, again, this is just speculation. So what we do now, we get to the Grey Malkin Habitat. This is in Westchester, New York. Uh, we have Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, in her traditional green Marvel Girl, green and yellow Marvel Girl outfit, walking with a young mutant. She's green-skinned, green-haired. And I want to mention race for a second. Now, my issue that I'm having with this story now is that we have our token black storm. Cool. But we don't seem to have anyone else who was black. Yes, mutants can be pink, green, blue, brown, furry, skin, scaly, and the like. 
But when we get the baseline human appearing mutants, they always, or the majority of the time, are white or white passing. Even if you have a lighter skinned black person or a Latinx person or an Asian person, they're always coded as white. Now, there are subtle changes that can be made that can appear, and I don't want to seem insensitive, but mainly with the eyes. When it comes to an Asian person, you see that that person is visibly Asian. But then you'll get a character like Jubilee, where over the years, she's drawn in a way where she appears to be just another white woman. Um, I'm bringing that up in hopes that throughout this run, we see more color, more black people, um... In this book, in this series, more Latin, Latinx, um, darker skinned people. But I'm going to put that concern on the back burner for now and give it an issue or two more. Shouldn't have to do that because it should go without saying. If you can have a person with golden skin, a girl with green hair, someone who's green skinned, it shouldn't seem that difficult to put people of color, i.e. black people, i.e. dark skin appearing black people in your books but we do get banshee's return which i'm cool with that um and so marvel girl is holding on to the hand to this of this little girl and the little girl says because they're about to walk through the gateway of krakoa can anyone travel through a gateway mrs gray and she says no not everyone any mutant can of course krakoa recognizes his own but anyone or anything that isn't a mutant must be accompanied by one. And even then, we have to ask permission. You see, Krakoa is very protective, and it's always important to have good manners. Now, these few scenes, these few panels are so good. Like, just, I don't know. Like, you guys have to see. Please pick up this issue. So, the conversation between the little girl and Jean is very, very nice, very interesting. But seeing everyone walk through this gateway seeing it, just that one line that Krakoa recognizes its own this is something that seems to be so obvious it's like why hadn't anyone done this to begin with you're treating Krakoa like it's just another character whereas Krakoa could have been the utopia of the early 2000s but I'm glad we're getting it now we also see Cypher and someone, um, a woman named Sage. They're working what looks like to be inside of a building that's overrun with organic Krakoan material. Um, we get an incoming of the people who we just saw the page before, which is uh, Sandra Yo, um, codenamed Wrench, Robert Wynn, uh, codenamed Sono Rex. Sean Cassidy, codenamed Banshee, Desmond Ocha Diaz, codenamed Fauna, uh, Jean Grey, codenamed Marvel Girl. So having Cypher back, another thing that I'm interested in is the way that he's being used just in a few panels. So what happens is, for those of you who don't know, Cypher can decipher any language. He can speak any language. Now Cypher is like touching a wall, Doug Ramsey, I believe he's still if I'm wrong, um, let me know or we'll discover it together. Now he is a white male, blonde haired. He's wearing the X-Men uniform and but one of his arm is very Phoenix, techno organic, cable style, black and goldish looking where he's communicating with Krakoa. So this is how the scene reads. There's some foreign language and not foreign in the sense of any language on earth it's like a foreign alien language so uh cypher says checks out with krakoa see i told you it would work didn't i sage so sage says last week you built an entire system to manage the traffic of the krakoa network from scratch he says and how cool was that she continues coded in a language only you and the island can speak and bioengineered to run on light and not electricity. Yeah, I can't believe I ever doubted you. Dripping in sarcasm. But the thing is, with this one scene or this one page, we see that Krakoa is massive and is working with mutants and is taking care of his own. And I'm just, I'm, um, I'm, I'm concerned. Okay, so I'm excited at what we're getting. 
But I'm also like, is Krakoa ever going to turn on everybody? Because if it ever decided to, like, that's it. It doesn't seem that way, but hell, you never know. It could happen. Um, I do like that we finally get this sanctuary for mutants that's more than just an Xavier school. Because you, you, the X-Men get their mansion blown up and attacked so many times at this point. It's just becoming, it's boring. So to have such a massive scale space for them to be safe is interesting. Because now, what other kind of stories can you tell? You know, when you take away the exploding school as a backdrop, what else can you do? And I, I like that. So we get these nice landscapes where Marvel Girl has the hand of the little green girl who she spoke with before they walk through and they're in a whole new world. I'm not sure what space this is because they've traveled through and I don't think it's the Savage Land. But pretty much the little green girl's like, oh, there go Xavier, blah, whatever. He's with that hairy guy. Jean says, that's Logan. Go talk to him. So as the little girl runs over, we get these beautiful colors, like this pink and this green. and I don't know. So Xavier, with his cerebral head on, I don't know if he's only speaking through telepathy or not, but they brought back the old school telepathy bubbles, which is that's cool too. And he says, welcome home, Gene. You're safe here. We all are. Like, bruh, this is so massive. And, man, it's just so, it's, it's good. I'm liking what I'm reading so far. And I hope you guys are as well. Please, again, use that hashtag, Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod when listening to this podcast. Let me know if you have picked up the first issue of House of X. What do you think about it? Are you enjoying it so far? Is this a series that you'd like to pick up? Leave a comment in the comments or tweet me using that hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod. My handle is Carefree Blurred. One, House of X. Two, House of M. Three, Arbor Magna. Four, Arena. Five, Akademos Habitat. Six, Transit. Seven, The Oracle. Eight, The Grove. Nine, The Cradle. Ten, The Reservoir. Eleven. The Wild Hunt, 12, Carousel. So, Krakoa Pacific. Krakoa is an island that is split up into 12 different sections. Um, I'm sure this is going to come into use later on in the series. But just to give you some point of reference, Krakoa is a little bit of ways, kind of northeast of Alaska. Um, it's very far removed. So, I'm thinking... Yeah, I'm thinking that'll come into place later on. Now, the next thing we get is something that I'm not even going to assume I know much about. There is, we're out in space, and we have a man and his, I don't know, co-pilot um, in this massive, massive spaceship. Um, they seem to be more like shield-like as far as the way they look, so it's not like it's foreign. It's more or less just... Um, explorers i would think and they're speaking with an agent who her and two others are onboarding some like space station they want to know if it's fine for humans uh the leader the lady takes off her helmet and she's like look it's about 10 degrees colder than i'd like but i'm guessing that that's the environment controls pre-programmed to support a full crew this is significant because she's walked onto the ship immediately taking her helmet off and exposed herself to the space. Then <laughs> the original guy, um, after being told what happened, is like, and this is why we don't have kids. Because I'm assuming that it's his wife and she's gonna do whatever she wants to do, and you can't talk her out of none of that. Um the the woman has a she has a person with her who I'm assuming is human, but has a bit of like android parts as well. Her name is Karima. She's like, Karima, you're with me. So with this scene, we're exploring this like space station that's very, I don't know, it's very spy-like. Um, at one point, the woman comments that there's no machinery. And Karima's like, well, we had to send these machines to Mars, I believe, to mine for more oils and minerals and whatnot. Now, again, I'm not going to even fake like I understand what's going on here or that I know who these agents are 
but it will come back later I'm sure of it this is kind of the B plot or maybe the C plot the important thing or the surprising thing about this is that we're in this massive space I'll just say space station and on each panel you can see how massive it is and how tiny the humans are but it isn't until you get to this last scene where you see um, the woman says something about I don't see any machines that's very odd I see no brothers I see no sisters and she's like well that's because when construction was completed all the machines were retasked for mining duty we're going to need the resources so they are on mercury excavating heavy metal excuse me but don't worry if we need more he'll have her build them now he will have her build them, and they're referring to the head of Galactus. Now, I could be wrong. This could be a different character, but this big metal shiny head looks like it's Galactus. Now, Galactus is organic and takes the shape that the person looking at him, I guess, best um, is able to perceive. So I could be wrong, and if it's not Galactus, it looks like a giant sentinel. So someone who's read issue one, let me know. Clear this up for me because I'm very, very uh, confused, but I think I might know what it is. Now, these people are part of something that I believe is called the Orkis Protocol. Initial establishment of Doomsday Network based on evolutionary research regarding the extinction level population density of Homo sapiens superior. See the Cro-Magnon problem by Dr. Alia Greger. Recruitment of assets in strategic organizations. Aim, shield, strike, sword, alpha flight, hammer, armor, and hydra. As well as funding from black budgets and other human-centric financial considerations. Absorption and adaptation of various organizational assets into next-generation infrastructure. Built for doomsday. Operating under the premise that there are three areas of concern. Population financial, and territorial. Orkis assets established watchdog programs to observe undetected mutant influence. Right, so the woman who I spoke about before was Dr. Gregor, um, the one who spoke with uh, the human android lady walking through the space station. Now, with her findings, um, what she found out was uh, observation began over two years ago. Now, one year ago, there was a population alert. There were instances of the X-gene activation that spiked along with the re-emergence of established mutants. Mutant alpha types long observed as active in the mutant cause. Now, what I'm going to assume is that this was around the time after House of M where Scarlet, Scarlet Witch got rid of all the mutants. And then this is that time period where all of the mutants start to re-emerge. I'm going to assume that and we're running with it until I'm proven otherwise. Now, six months ago... Uh, now, going back to the beginning of the book where I said, you know, we were following different X-Men with the Krakoan flowers. Now, six months ago, the observation uh, was a financial alert. Long observed shell companies wholly owned by the mutant activist Charles Xavier quietly purchased the seventh largest pharmaceutical company in the world and recently announced three new drugs which are poised to destabilize that industry and spread through global financial sectors. Wow. Now, two months ago, there was a territorial alert. This is all from the Orkis Protocol, of course. The mutant nation of Krakoa was established. The Cro-Magnon problem by Dr. Alia Gregor began as humanitarian research into mutant repopulation following the Genosian genocide, which resulted in the deaths of over 16 million mutants. Dr. Gregor postulated that, despite best efforts, mutantdom would not be able to repopulate to significant enough numbers to become the eventual dominant species of Homo sapiens on Earth due to factors including environmental, technological and specific scientific advancements in genetic engineering and artificial intelligence. What she found disproved her theory. Not only were mutants repopulating reappearing at a higher rate than expected, but a regression analysis of previous growth patterns of mutants revealed that, if not for Genosha, mutants would have become the dominant species on Earth within 10 years due to cascading biological and cultural mutant positive variables. What Genosha bought mankind was time that they didn't know they didn't have. Dr. Gregor's new timeline suggests that humanity has 20 years left. And with that, we move on to present day. 
we find out that Mystique, Toad, and Sabretooth are attacking a facility, trying to get in and get out so that it won't appear that they were there at all, obtain some intel, and, uh, and disappear without a trace, which is not something that happens because Sabretooth is not for that shit. He is acting a fool. Now, we reference damage control in this book as well. And this is one of, on, on, excuse me, on one of those title cards. Now, while this corporate entity traditionally serves as a quarantine or a repair rebuild capacity, damage control also operates as the archival unit for the government-contested metahuman machinery and technology. Now, for that, if you remember Spider-Man Homecoming, that is the best visual example I can give you of damage control, where they came in and took tombs, uh, excuse me, the vultures uh, men off of the scene and took that stuff from the battle in New York. Now with this, we have a list of items, uh, Souls Anvil, Souls Hammer, The Bridge, Iron Man Mark 5, Iron Man Mark 6, Iron Man Mark 7, and Mark 8, Rescue Mark 1, Rescue Mark 2, um, anti-proton sling a multiversal beacon now it's noted that in the recent past both stark and richards reed richards and tony stark have gone to great lengths to ensure that their technology did not fall into the hands of others like damage control but what they normally did was if one died or was missing they would leave everything to the other well uh with reed richards missing for a very long period of time and stark presumed dead for a time all of the rights for that material was being contested, which I think made it easier for Mystique, Sabretooth, and Toad to go in and try to get that, uh, those items, that intellectual property. Now, we move on to the tour where Magneto and Sophie and Esme are taking the different ambassadors, and uh, they're explaining how Krakoa works, and one says, how do we know what door leads where? Um, I'm not sure which woman this is, because again, they are drawn as twins i think maybe sophie i mean she says i won't lie at first it was easy to get turned around familiarity helps but it just to be safe we ask record to grow some signs so no one would lose their way see and so there are these signs above the krakoan doorways that are throughout the entire issue like if you look at that first title card if you look at different scenes you see this like alien writing now the ambassador's like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to read this mess, whatever, that's gibberish. Where and this is where the why this is important. Magneto says, Well, it's certainly not Russian, English, French, or Chinese, but it is a language. Ours. It's Krakoan. And every mutant who lives among us has it telepathically imprinted in their cerebral cortex the day they arrive. So their concern, the ambassadors, is okay, so now you made your own language. And Magneto replies, of course we did. One cannot create a distinct culture without it. And make no mistake, that is exactly what Charles Xavier is doing. Now again, oof, when I tell you, why has this not been done before? Why has no one came in and created a mutant-only language before? And there's not a critique to the stories of the past. It's just like, man, some of this stuff was so obvious. It's like right there, look at what's done. So, I think it brings up the topic of appropriation in here as well. I wonder if that'll be addressed, but appropriate mutant culture. Um, but whatever, I digress. So, uh, Esme, or Sophie as it is, says, okay, come on, let's go through here. And they go through another portal, which sends them to the Savage Land. There's one. And through this, she's saying it's kind of a montage of shorts. Of sorts, as you can see, Krakoa is not limited by distance, elevation, or environment. So they go to the Savage Land, it looks like. Um, it looks like, I don't know where Zorn lives, but like the top of a mountain somewhere. Um, and even like beneath the sea. And the ambassadors are talking about the military uh, uses of this type of technology. Now, the interesting thing with that is, though Charles is doing something that is creating your own nation, it is a bit scary. It is a bit um, scary for the humans because not only are you, do you have the numbers to create your own community, your own country, but you also have superpowers, whereas the humans have their guns and whatnot. Now, we see that the inherent advantages of being able to move an army any distance without being seen is, well... Let's just say you'd have to throw out a couple thousand years of military strategy. P 
people are going to have a problem with this. Now, this is the ambassadors talking to Magneto. And he says, because he's nothing if not himself, where you see an instrument of war, I see an unassailable refuge. That's quite a difference. And it's true. It's the fact that you as humans, the main thing you're concerned with with your government is war. Now, one of the ambassadors says some would call this semantics. Either way, it's an advantage. Now, this is what got me. Magneto says, and I quote, There has never been a mutant war, Ambassador. We've never conquered a people, stolen their land, or made slaves of the vanquished. That's our real advantage. And it's the truth. Like, in American history, in world history, in the real world, clearly you see what life has been like. But even on the pages of the X-Men comics, point to me where anything outside of a what-if story have mutants waged war on an entire group of people just randomly or to, to steal their resources or to enslave them. These mutants have been trying to get away from these humans for so freaking long. Utopia was supposed to be that thing. Though it had its own set of problems, like they have been trying to get away from you people forever and a day. And like you said, our real advantage is that we have never tried to fight a war. We've always been on the defensive end. Now, there have been evil mutants and bad guys and evildoers, yeah. But as a whole, mutants have been trying to live their life and get the hell away from these humans who are trying to kill them at every turn. Like blowing up schools with children in it just because they're mutants. Come on, y'all. So, one of the guys asks, you know, uh, when are we actually going to go to Krakoa? And they're saying at this point, Krakoa is as much of an idea as it is an actual place. Where that kind of for me, trigger the religion of it all. Like, is there a religion of Krakoa as well? But we don't we don't land on that too long. So what Magneto follows up with is, you have heard Charles Xavier's offer. Mutants are the evolutionary inheritors of this world. All of it. But instead of claiming it, we are giving it to you. We only keep a small portion for ourselves. The island you see is ours. And ours alone. Man is not welcome there. Which is like, why do you blame them? Now, at the same time, we got Mystique, Toad, and... Excuse me, Mystique, Toad, and Sabretooth running from the Fantastic Four because they have been caught stealing. Now, this is a very interesting and high-energy scene. So, we got them running towards the gateway. Toad gets through. Mystique gets through. Sabretooth, however, gets stuck. For whatever reason, he can't go through. So at this point, I'm thinking, it's Krakoa against whatever Sabretooth is doing. But he is a mutant, so why would he do that? Turn the page and see the entirety of the Fantastic Four. So when the fight first started, it was just Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, and Ben Grimm, the Thing. When we get this page, we get Sabretooth tracked in an invisible box made by none other than Sue Storm Richards, the Invisible Woman. And we also see Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. Now, <laughs> they capture Sabretooth and somebody walks through the gateway. And it is none other than Cyclops. Now, this is so interesting <laughs> because you come off this big battle, this high-impact battle in this race against time where Mystique and Toad got through the, the secret passageway. And then we get, ah, how wonderful, the Richards family. And it's Cyclops. Now, of course, I'm reading this and I'm interpreting it my way. I'm sure others have read this and maybe had a different tone. But you can't deny that there's a smile on this man's face. And it would suggest that this is an upbeat conversation. Now, he walks over to Ben. And you, Ben, I hear you got married. Mazel tov. And it's just like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, criminals just ran through to your, like, little portal thing. Um, and Scott continues, of course, and everyone else is doing well. Uh, it is, <laughs> it's so strange. So it's not that he's, is him and Sue have a bit of an exchange. Um, and then him and Reed. And so this is where things start to get interesting. Reed and Scott, which Reed appears to be like six foot two or something. And Scott is maybe six feet. So Reed and Scott are together and he's like, so, um, shall I take Mr. Creed off your hands? And they're like, but we caught him. Why would we give him to you? He committed a crime. So this, again, things are getting interesting. I don't know if this is the original X-Men or if they are cremations made by Xavier. I don't know. 
But Scott says, you're a smart man, Dr. Richards. I know you know what amnesty means. And here you go. I do. I also know that Sabretooth broke any number of laws in the last hour, including no small number of injuries to guards and a high probability that some of those injuries are significantly, possibly fatal. Are you really offering amnesty from that? So, <laughs> Scott says, it's upsetting, I know, but I'm afraid we are. New beginnings demand a wide berth. Then I think we have a problem with that. Now, there's silence. And this is, again, where I the writing, mm, okay. Scott says, fair enough. I can see that you feel strongly about this. He throws his hands up. Why don't you keep them? We'll deal with it some other time, some other way. Now, Sabretooth is acting a fool, cussing and everything. <laughs> and Sue says, Cyclops, this amnesty, the other things that Xavier is doing, what are all of you thinking? Whew. Okay, here we go, y'all. Scott. My family has spent our entire lives being hunted and hated. The world has told me that I was less when I knew I was more. Did you honestly think that we were going to sit around forever and just take it? And that again, why Cyclops, come on y'all. Like the mutants have been hunted. They have been abused. They have been attacked. They have been run underground like the Morlocks. They have been chased out of space. They've been massacred. Why in the why in the heck do y'all act as if they're going to sit there and take that time after time again? Like, we finally got somebody who's like, no, we're going to change things. There's no, oh, we just got to be nice to the humans. Oh, they mean well. Y'all keep killing us. Y'all killing our kids and don't seem to care. And so, Sue, she should feel like shit because it's like, yeah, Y'all do the exact same thing we do. You try to save the day. And yet because you got your powers through some cosmic mess in space as astronauts. And I was born with this. I have to be attacked. Now this is the kicker here. So Sue's like, of course not. But, and here's Scott. It's really very simple, Susan. I believe in what Charles Xavier is doing. Then he says, please greet your son for me. And tell him when he's ready, he has family on Krakoa waiting for him. Which was like, God, again, y'all, when I read this, I'm like, oh, shit. So, for those of you who don't know, the Fantastic Four, Invisible Woman, and uh, Reed Richards, they have a son, Franklin Richards, who is a mutant. He born tried and true. He is a mutant person. Um, though his family got their powers through cosmic means, he is a mutant. And... Um, he's a very powerful mutant, Omega level, um, as it is. And I just, I like this, I like the fracturing and the stress that this run and issue one is, is bringing to the Marvel universe. A lot of times I feel like X-Men has had amazing stories, but they've kind of been on their own thing on the side. Um, whereas the Avengers and Spider-Man, Fantastic Four and the like are able to run around and be superheroes and, and have a cohesive um, I guess story whereas I feel like the X-Men were always separate from that and here I feel like battle lines are being drawn and I'm ready to see what happens with those battle lines Omega level mutant a mutant whose dominant power is deemed to register or reach an undefinable upper limit of that power's specific classification Omega level mutants name Jean Grey alias Marvel Girl Omega power Telepathy. Name, Aurora Monroe. Alias, Storm. Omega Power, Weather Manipulation. Name, Franklin Richards. Alias, Powerhouse. Omega Power, Reality Manipulation, Universal. Omega Protocol, while it is believed that a greater dynamo is possible through collective means, it is a current priority for the mutant nation of Krakoa to protect and nurture its greatest natural resource. Omega level mutants. All efforts are to be expended in order to secure the future of the state. One people, one tribe, one family. So we end the book at the Krakoan habitat in Jerusalem. So um it, it okay, so interesting. So we're at we're in Jerusalem. Magneto looks out into the uh, over a balcony and he says, So what have we learned? Now, once he says that the ambassador speaks up, 
that in return for recognizing Krakoa as a nation of good standing, you will- No, I wasn't speaking to you. So, this, again, this good writing. So, what happens is, Sophie steps forward and she says, Well, our host ambassador from Israel decided to join her fellow representatives from the Security Council today. She's with them, but not with them. She's also ex-military and doesn't really care for them or you for that matter, but that's no surprise. As for the others, well, they've been trained to withstand telepathy, just not trained well enough. They're all plants, sir. So, pretty much Sophie is a telepath and she has been reading their minds this whole time. Again, this is minor, kind of a minor plot twist or plot development or whatever, but it, it, it feels so good for lack of a better term so they're arguing outrageous that isn't what happened and sophie continues um one of them is actually the head of state science office both he and influential members excuse me of parliament are eager to agree to our terms they see the political and scientific opportunity as our asymmetry represents now the one thing that i'm concerned with with these three drugs that charles is offering You've bought up the seventh largest uh, pharmaceutical company. You're manufacturing this drug. What if this drug turns on these humans? Like we just seen by uh, Dr. Greger's um, observations that mankind, humankind has 20 years. Is this speeding up that development? Like is this um, taking these drugs? Yes, they're going to help you and cure you in a certain way. And remember the emphasis on inhumans when um, when it came to curing diseases, mental disorders. But doing so, is that going to search for the X gene in the latent X gene in humans and kind of pull that out of them, thus making them mutants? Like, it, I don't know, it seems fishy. So I'm, I'm all for it because I'm on the X-Men side. But as far as the humans is concerned, <sighs> Becky, you in trouble, girl. So pretty much Sophie goes down and she runs down all these different people's minds and what's actually going on. And um, also one of the guys, the ambassadors, has a gun. And Magneto, of course, uses his powers and takes care of that. Which, I'm like, wouldn't he have already sensed that when the guy walked in? I, I don't know, but I'm not I'm going to go worry about it. So the guy says, "It wasn't. I wasn't going to use it, it was for my protection. And then Magneto responds, of course. That's how it always starts. Uh, Sophie asks to show him out. And then this is when Magneto goes full Shonda Rhimes. He says, No. Some would be offended at a wolf presenting as a sheep. But I have learned your hard lessons from your kind. So I know the truth. You are all wolves. And it is good that you are here. All of you. As you really are. So you can run home and tell your masters what you have learned. I want you to tell them, Charles Xavier has made you an offer, one full of grace and brotherly love, but one that is also written in stone. This is not a negotiation. Things will be different now, and the sooner you realize the finality of your situation and the inevitability of ours, the sooner you will learn to be grateful for the things we are so generously giving you. Ah! <laughs> so Ambassador replies, do you know what you sound like? And Magneto finishes, I do. And it feels good to finally say it. Like, oh, this man is on a roll. Um, so again, there is still pushback. And Homegirl's like, <laughs> so you summon us here to Jerusalem with what? The intention to threaten us? And let me finish this out here. Magneto says, a promise is not a threat, Ambassador. And I summon you to this place for wholly superficial reasons. You see, I know how you humans love your symbolism almost as much as you love your religion. And I wanted you, no, I needed you to understand. You have new gods now. Bruh! <laughs> Fam! Okay, so, quick wrap up. A lot of stuff has happened. Magneto has taken these mugs on a full tour of what you're capable of. He ain't hiding. I mean, he's probably hiding some stuff. But I'm not hiding from you the fact that we have all of this at our disposal. We've given you three drugs in exchange 
for recognizing us as our own country. We've let you know that we are not going to stand for the mess that y'all pull and have been pulling since the first X-Men issue way back decades ago. We with the shits now. We are truly Xavier's dream. So when he ended with we, oh, you have new gods now. That's it. I'm sold. I'll be picking up every single issue. So let me know this, guys. What do you think about issue one, House of X? Have you read it? Please pick it up once you do. Again, use that hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XD Pod. Let me know what it is that you think. Um, did you agree with any of my opinions? Is there more that might need to be elaborated? Um, do we need to discuss something else in issue one? Are you looking forward to issue two? Tweet me, Carefree Blur. Again, use that hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod. Now, this podcast will be available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Make sure to follow me on your favorite podcast listening app. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. Use all other social medias, Carefree Black Nerd. If you must, please email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. I'd like to make this a conversation. Give me your input. I don't want to examine this series on my own. I want to hear what you guys think as well. With that being said... Until next time, guys, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and understand that you have new gods now. I have a new word for the lexicon of man, Krakoa. And in the future, when you speak it, make sure you do so softly and with proper deference. For we will be listening. Mm-hmm.